Well, good morning, fellowship. Welcome to worship. It's good to see you this morning. Those of you who are gathered with us online here in person, every week as we gather for worship, we reorient ourselves to the story of God, the ongoing story of God and God's people, which we are a part of. Our stories are wrapped up in that, that story that God is writing in this world. So this morning, our call to worship comes from 1 Corinthians. The words are going to be on the screen, and we will read them responsively together. I invite you to stand as we do so. I will speak the words in, oh, that are labeled one and invite you to join in with the words that are labeled with all. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Let's sing together. Rose from their tombs, and the angels stood. 
Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew us and all the world. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we have the great privilege and honor and joy of baptizing children into the family of God. Jesus, uh, after he was resurrected, gathered his disciples together and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to, to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the end of the age. This morning, we get to participate and fulfill that commandment of Jesus here at this, at this font, where we take really common things like water and, and confess that something mysterious, beautiful, a sacrament happens here with common things like water that are a visible sign of an invisible covenant that God has made with us. In baptism, God promises to forgive us of our sins, to unite us to Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, to adopt us into the church, and to send his Holy Spirit daily to sustain us, and finally, to raise us up to the life everlasting. This promise is made visible in water. Water purifies Water cleanses, water refreshes, and water sustains. Jesus Christ is, is the, the living, living water. water. This morning, we have two of our baptism elders here, Jane and Nancy, to help us celebrate this sacrament. Jane, you have some people that we are going to baptize. Would you introduce them on behalf of the elders? And when you introduce them, the, the families can come forward. Good morning. This is wonderful news. Um, I am so pleased to present Nathan and Abby Price, who bring their daughter Hadessa Rose for baptism. You want me to do both? Both of them. Yeah, come on. We uh, bring them all. Anybody and everybody. I also present to you Mike and Mercedes McDonald, who are bringing their son Callum George for baptism. Would you, uh, we, would you join me in a word of prayer? We thank you, O oh God, for the gift of baptism and the symbol of water by which you offer to us the promises of salvation, that we are buried with Jesus Christ in his death, raised up with him in his resurrection, and given the help of the Holy Spirit in all of life's journey. So now, holy and gracious God, we pray on behalf of those baptized today that you would wash them clean and enable them to receive new life. To you, O oh God, be the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Nathan and Abby, Mike and Mercedes, having heard of God's gracious promises to us in Jesus, 
Christ, do you now affirm your desire to have Hadessa Rose and Callum George baptized today and thereby promise to instruct your child in the truth of God's word and in the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, to pray for them and to teach them to pray, and to train them in Christ's way by your example through worship and in the nurture of the church, if you do say, we do. Congregation, would you please stand as we also make promises to these babies and to one another, ultimately. As a covenant community called Fellowship Church, we promise to love, encourage, and support these families by teaching the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service. You may be seated. So first, we have Hadessa Rose. Hi, Hadessa. Hi. Oh, man, you are so precious. Hey, how's it going? You're like, strange person. Don't know you. Don't know you. Hi. <laughs> Hadessa Rose, your parents selected for you the verse uh, from Proverbs 31:25. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. Hadessa, dearest Hadessa, let me remind you of a most beautiful truth. Hadessa, our Father's love rests upon you. And Christ Jesus, the Savior of the world, knows your name. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Hadessa, for you, Christ came into the world. And for you, Christ lived a blameless, spotless life. And for you, Christ died. And for you, Christ conquered death. Hadessa, your baptism this morning is a testament to the truth that the scriptures proclaim that we love God because God first loved us. And so, Hadessa Rose, I baptize you. Yeah. In the name of the Father, you're doing great. In the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, gracious Son, and loving Holy Spirit, we are so immensely grateful for the promises of baptism, this promise of covenant grace and mercy that is extended to you, us and that is extended to you, our children. We are so grateful that even though Hadessa does not yet know this promise, that this is a promise that you enfold her in. We are so grateful for her parents and their faithfulness. We are so grateful for this church community that is pledged to walk alongside them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. <laughs> You did so great. You did so great. <laughs> Here you are. I'm going to try to hold Cal and George, but we practiced before, and he wasn't super excited. Are you, are you still there? Yeah. Sorry. There's a lot of people that have that reaction when they come near them. They get closer to the other people. Cal and George, it was, uh, well, first I'll say that your parents chose a verse for you, and it's Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear for I am with you. For uh, Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will be your strength, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Callum, can I hold you just for a second, buddy? What do you think? 
just for a second. Here, I'll let you, I'll let you, I'll let you look at mommy. Look at, look at, look at, there's mommy. There's mommy. I'll hold you outwards. Callum George, it was for you that Christ came into this world. For you, he lived and for you, he died. Even though you know nothing of it, we love because Christ first loved us. Can, can you touch the water? What's in here? What's in there? Oh, yeah. Callum George, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We'll go fast. Boom. And I won't get you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. God, thank you for Callum George. And I thank you that you love him. Hmm. It's better, isn't it? Just like a mama loves you, God loves you even more. You're a child of the covenant, Callum. Let us celebrate and welcome these folks into the family of God. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only king and head of the church, I declare that Hadessa Rose and Callum George are now received into the visible membership of the Holy Catholic Church, engaged to confess the Lord, the faith of Christ, and to be God's faithful servant until life's end. Let's join together in blessing God and also blessing these families uh, for the gift of baptism. Stand and sing with us um, the Christ, our only hope in life and in death. You can clap for the families again. <laughs>
pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, just a couple of things for us this morning. Uh, if you are new with us, we would love to connect with you, um, whether you've been here for a week um, or you've been here for a few weeks and you're ready to take that next step to get to know the fellowship community. Uh, there are some connection cards in the back to help you do just that. Um, you can fill out that connection card. You can give it to one of the pastors uh, or you can take it over to the Welcome Center. There's some great folks there who would love to meet you and greet you by name and also help you to take that first step to um, getting to know our community a little bit better. Uh, secondly, um, we are um, preparing for um, our All Saints Sunday. This is coming up next Sunday. Um, on All Saints, we honor the lives of the faithful who have gone before us. Uh, these are ordinary saints who were pillars of the faith, ordinary saints who impacted our faith, uh, ordinary saints who did life with us as family, maybe parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles, but also as friends and neighbors and colleagues and teachers and coaches. Uh, and we want to remember those individuals with you. Um, and so we invite you to help us remember them with you uh, by submitting their photo, um, your name, their name, your relationship to them uh, by this Wednesday so that they can be a part of um, our service this coming week. Uh, secondly, uh, in the gallery, you may have noticed a display of sorts. Um, we have been in a sermon series that we've been calling Between the Lines, where we're reading the scriptures and we're looking for Christ between the lines. And in that display or that installation that's out in the gallery, you'll notice that we're also reading the scriptures and we're reading the stories of our own time and reading them, reading them together in hopes of finding Christ um, between the lines of both stories. Uh, so it's a pretty amazing display. And if you've not gotten a chance to get to it yet, you've got about three weeks left to kind of take it in. Uh, so I highly encourage you to view that in the gallery area. Uh, we are celebrating several things this morning, uh, really, really amazing things. Uh, we had 11 families join our church this past week. Uh, that's something like 29 people. Yeah, seriously, it's amazing. Uh, these are folks who have covenanted with this community, um, and you have in turn covenanted with them to walk alongside them in life and faith as well. Uh, we officially um, have all of our Kids Hope mentors. That's arousing 51 mentors. Woo! Yeah. 52. 52. 52. Yeah. 
special thanks to those folks who are becoming friends to kids in our community here. Um, and then, lastly, um, 200 guests, face painting, arts and crafts, um, five bunnies, seven live chickens, and three pygmy goats. Anyone know where that's from? What was it? Fall Fest Chili Cook-Off. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you recognize those numbers if you were a part of our Fall Fest this past Wednesday. It was a great time. Um, kids, families, um, couples, just tons of people came out to celebrate fall with us and have a good time. And there were 35 chilies entered into the Chili Cook-Off. How many of you entered a chili? How many of you enjoyed 35 chilies? Yeah, a few people, yeah. <laughs> we had three winners. I mean, it was a really close competition. One first place winner, two second place winners, multiple people who were within one point of third place, fourth place, and fifth place. So it was serious competition for those chilies. It was a great time. We totally look forward to doing it again next year. Uh, now, after celebrating a ton of things that are happening within and through our community, we also just want to express gratitude. Uh, gratitude for the generosity of Fellowship Reformed Church, uh, which supports not only our ministry, ministry here, but also local and global mission partners um, around the world and around our community. So there are a number of ways to either begin or to continue partnering with us financially, um, including online or in person using the giving bowls at the back of the church. Um, and with that, um, we will now dismiss our kids ages three years through fifth grade. They can follow Miss Betsy on out the door there. Thank you. Continue in worship. I invite you to use this next song as really a prayer for illumination that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts to hear God's word uh, for deep change and growth in our own lives. Let's sing together.
couple observations this morning. First of all, there's a couple more of you in this service than there was in the last one, which has me wondering how many were up watching the game last night, huh? <laughs> Second observation is that we apparently have pastors here who make babies cry, so be warned. <laughs> what a glad celebration in baptisms. So it goes. The Lord be with you. Today we continue read in our series of reading between the lines, and if you were with us last week, we were into one of the stories of King David, uh, and King David, among other things, is known for three rather famous relationships, if you will. First is when he was young, he's famous for the battle that he had with the cruel and taunting giant named Goliath. It's America's favorite underdog story, and it actually appears on Wikipedia as the lead example of an underdog story, David defeating Goliath. He's second, most famous for another relationship for his midlife entanglement with a beautiful neighbor girl named Bathsheba, whom he takes, even though she was already taken. We looked into that story last week, and tragically for both of them, it's a story of innocence lost. Third, however, David is also famously known for his deep and constant relationship with God. In fact, he wrote approximately half of the Psalms and the Psalter and is therefore perhaps the single person who has most influenced the praying life of God's people even still today. Those are David's three famous dealings. But then he and Bathsheba had a son named King Solomon, who is also famous for three other things. And two of those three things have been made famous, at least in a little bit of a different way, by Disney. The first story, our story today, is kind of like Aladdin's genie in a bottle, where uh, it, is an, it, is a way, it is a make-a-wish type of story. God comes to Solomon and says, ask whatever you want. And Solomon surprisingly asks for wisdom in that particular story. Second, alongside wisdom, Solomon is also perhaps famous most for his wealth, which is a bit like Donald Duck's Uncle Scrooge, fitting for our No Scrooge November focus, which is uh, just beginning among us. But Solomon is known also for being exceedingly wealthy. And then third, a third W, he's known first for wisdom, second for wealth, and third, he is known for his many, many wives. Wives. So there we have him. He's putting out the vibe right there. 700 wives, 300 concubines, and thankfully, Disney, at least to my knowledge, has not made a movie about a man with too many wives, and hopefully it stays that way. Today's focus, however, is on Solomon's wisdom, and as we seek to read between the lines together, we are also going to lean towards God's wisdom for us today. So I invite you to hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. It comes to us from 1 Kings chapter 3, and I'll start reading at verse 3, where it says this, Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. At that point, you could have some yellow flags flying, cautions to his character. It says, and the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, 
You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of hearts, a heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, great, this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all of your days." And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commands, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If God gave you a blank check, what would you ask for? And why that? (laughs) When Solomon asked for wisdom, what exactly was he asking for? What is wisdom? Let's begin with a few definitions that come to us from the cheap cheap seats. (laughs) I have them on a slide here for you. One uh, smart aleck has said that wisdom comes from experience. And experience is often the result of a lack of wisdom. A cartoonist depicts an anxious traveler pursuing a wise sage up to a secluded mountaintop. And when he gets there, the wisdom of the sage is that no matter where you go, people somehow find you. And then there's an example from a realist who speaks of a tomato saying that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. With that, we turn to a little more official places to define the terms, to Webster's Dictionary, and then, of course, the Old and New Testament scriptures. According to Webster's Dictionary, to be wise or to have wisdom is to possess knowledge, to have insight and good judgment. In the Hebrew scriptures, the word means that, but also to have a kind of technical skill, almost like a craftsmanship, and to merge that with practical, ethical, and religious conduct. That's what the word means in Hebrew. In the New Testament, it's those things, but also a true understanding that is displayed in discernment and by observably godly living. The word is sophos or sophia, as we sometimes have even named children. It means wisdom. 
In both the Old and New Testament, there is wisdom personified, who we uh, rather finally call Lady Wisdom. And this personified wisdom calls out to a wayward world, opposes Lady Folly, and is known by her deeds. These definitions, of course, begin to beg the question for us. How is wisdom related to knowledge and experience? Is wisdom possible without love? wonder if you'll consider with me a few of the ways that we might commonly speak about wisdom in our world nowadays. First of all, we often speak of people who are book smart. Book smart is to be educated and scholarly, to be intelligent with much academic information. Book smart people work well within uh, working systems. That's how you get degrees, right? Pastor Tiara over here, uh, among other things, is book smart. She's on her way towards getting a PhD. I've actually had to use a dictionary in order to interpret two of her text messages to me. <laughs> it's probably going to happen again. Consider a few popular examples of people known in our world to be book smart. There's Ken Jennings, who is the famous big-time winner of Jeopardy, 75 games straight, over $2.5 million in winning. He's book smart, but is he wise? Or consider these other numbers. These are some of the highest known IQs in our world today. And if you don't know, I didn't. The average American has an IQ around 100. Albert Einstein, who is perhaps one of our favorite examples of a super smart person, is known to have an IQ of about 160. These people are really, really smart. But are they wise? Well, you don't have to be book smart. You can also be street smart. That's another term that we might use today about people who are a certain kind of wise. These people are often self-taught. They are trained by life experience and seasoned in the school of hard knocks. Street smart people are often adept at working around broken systems. We might describe them commonly as savvy or not gullible. Street smart people. A little bit ago, I was given one of these little mind puzzles. It's a wooden airplane, and it's just two parts, and the wings are supposed to come out, but they don't. I've had it for a month and never solved it. I brought it to our uh, fall fest this past Wednesday night, shared it with a bunch of people. They too were puzzled by it. And then I brought it to Keith Brown. He had never seen it before. Keith Brown is a bit of a natural genius, a street smart kind of guy. He solved it in less than five seconds. I'm serious. I didn't know whether to hug him or to cry. <laughs> Pretty great. Consider a few other popular examples of street smart people in our world today. There's Marshall Mathers III, otherwise known as Eminem. He failed ninth grade three times and then went on to be Detroit's biggest rap star. He's rich and he's famous, but is he wise? Or there's MacGyver, who apparently carries a missile on his shoulder. <laughs> who doesn't? MacGyver can do anything with almost nothing. He is a figure-it-out kind of guy. But is he wise? Or finally, there's Harriet Tubman, who received very little formal education at all. And she is one who made the best 
of some of the very worst situations. Is she wise? Alongside book smart and street smart, you might also think of folks who are soul smart. Soul smart people are often called saints or sages. A saint would be one who is mostly focused on personal piety, individual holiness, and they're often willing to take extreme measures in order to achieve it. A sage is a little different. A sage is one who is more focused on the common good, willing to make compromises so that all, not just some, might flourish. A sage is familiar with the golden mean. The golden mean would say that in between the extremes is something worthwhile, So courage is right in between cowardice and recklessness. Or generosity is right in between hoarding and wastefulness. You get the idea. But most importantly, these soul-smart types, whether saints or sages or both, they seek to integrate three of the Bible's most common claims about wisdom. Namely, that it is from God. That it is Four, discerning between good and evil. And it is third, so that we can live well in God's world. But the uncomfortable reality is that in many places, the saints and the sages alike are often viewed as fools by our world's standards. As we said even in our call to worship this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the wisdom of God is often perceived and received as a kind of foolishness in today's world. And so let's be honest, in America, you're a fool, right? If you don't ambitiously pursue whatever is more, bigger, faster, newer, better, whatever. Profits, products, pleasure, popularity, you name it. But the saint says, no thanks. And the sage says, enough is good. Together, they are soul smart. So consider a few examples of folks that you might recognize. There's Mother Teresa, who is famous for saying, do small things with great love. She was saintly, but was she wise? There's Desmond Tutu, who saw some of the world's very worst in South Africa and in apartheid, and yet he's known as the smiling saint or sage. He's the smiling one, but was he wise? Finally, there's you. Are you saintly? Are you sagely? Are you wise? I love the story of a business school graduate who went on vacation one day to a small fishing village. While there, he saw a fisherman returning from the ocean on a small fishing boat. He had made some great catches. And the vacationer then asked him, why don't you stay out longer? You could catch more fish, sell them in the market, and make a better life for yourself. The fisherman replied, my life is good. I rise early with the sun, bless God, sip coffee, and then go fishing. I catch enough for my family, return in time for lunch, play with my kids, and then go out and mentor neighborhood kids and their fishing endeavors as well. And in the evening, I go out with my wife into the town. We sip wine, go dancing, and go to bed grateful. Well, listen, said the vacationer, I can help you. You're a good fisherman. 
fish more and sell more and you can get a bigger boat. And then you'll get a fleet of boats and your profits will soar and soon you'll have an office in the big city. Oh, said the fisherman. Well, how long will this take? And the vacationer said, about 15 years, but by then you will be filthy rich. Then what? said the fisherman. Well, what do you mean? Then you could do whatever you want, said the vacationer. You could rise early with the sun, bless God, sip coffee and go fishing. You'd make it home in time for lunch with your family and you could play with your kids and then teach neighborhood kids to fish in the afternoon, in the evening. You could go with your wife into the town, sip wine, listen to music, and go to bed grateful. With that, the fisherman and the vacationer looked at each other and both smirked, and they went their separate ways. The moral of the story is that that small-town fisherman just might have been soul-wise. With all of these things in mind, I invite you to return now to the wisdom of King Solomon. Was King Solomon book-smart? Probably yes. We don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. But uh, he was the son of the king. And so he probably did get the best education available at the time and in that particular place. We can't list off his degrees, but we do know the books that he wrote. And most famously, Solomon wrote Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4, we're told that King Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. And then another wrote another 1,005 songs. We're told in that same passage that he understood nature uniquely and that people from all nations came to hear his wisdom. He was very likely book smart. Here's a couple of his Proverbs that might ring a bell for you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear God and shun evil. It's healing for your body and strength to your bones. Or this one, Proverbs 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. The companion of fools suffers much harm. It's just a few of the book smarts given to us by King Solomon. Now, was King Solomon street smart? Once again, probably yes. In fact, in the very same story that we just read today, 1 Kings chapter 3, there is a following story which tells specifically of some of Solomon's street smarts. I've called that story worse than splitting hairs, and you'll find out in just a minute in case you don't know already. It's the story of two women, two prostitutes, who both have a baby at approximately the same time. Unfortunately, one of the babies dies at night. And so the woman with the dead child goes out and steals the living child from the other mother. It becomes a dispute that is brought before the king. It's a classic he said or he said, she said kind of situation. Who's the true mother? Solomon's brilliant and terrifying and street smart solution is to bluff. At least we hope it's a bluff. He says, divide the baby in half. And with that, the true mother blurts out in protest, and he knows that the one who wants the baby most to live is the true mother, and he gives the baby to that particular woman. It's risky, but it's savvy evidence of Solomon's street smarts. In fact, you could probably say that Solomon became rich and powerful because he was quite a bit of a street smart kind of guy. Now, was Solomon's soul smart? 
I think in this case, we have to say that the answer is no. Now, to be sure, God gave him wisdom, and he was and still is famous for having wisdom. But the end result of his life is that he did not put the wisdom into practice. He had the truth, but he didn't necessarily live it. There's the story uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. You could look it up later, but it's the story when the Israelites are begging God to have a king. They want to be like the other nations. God finally grants what they want. He gives them a king, but God gives them three instructions. When you have a king, make sure that they do not have too much of three things. Make sure that they do not have too many horses, too many wives, or too much gold. It's basically a warning against money, sex, and power. And King Solomon falls into all three pits, doesn't he? His story ends, sadly, in 1 Kings chapter 11, and he's the last king of the United Kingdom. The story of Solomon and his wisdom is interesting, to be sure, but even more importantly, perhaps for today, is the question of whether you and I are living wisely in our own worlds In the New Testament, there's a great passage that invites us to think deeply about this very issue. It's in the book of James, chapter 3, where it says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And it concludes by saying this about the wise ones. It says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. According to that text, wisdom is not only impressive book smarts. It's also not only impressive street smarts. Above all, wisdom is demonstrated by living a good life. And we do not do this by pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. In fact, in that very same book, in James chapter 1, it says also that wisdom is a gift given by God freely to all who ask for it in truth. And wisdom has been given, friends. God only wise has become God in the flesh. We call him Jesus, and he was a very wise teacher. In John's gospel before his birth, Jesus is described as the eternal logos, the logic of God, something you might call a certain kind of book smarts in the flesh. In Luke's gospel, we find the only verse that describes Jesus as a teenager. As he's growing up, it says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with people alike. That just might be street smarts in its purest and best form. Elsewhere in the gospel, we find Jesus offering soul smart wisdom with all kinds of saintly and sagely types of sayings like, If someone strikes you on the right cheek, then offer to them the other one also. That's foolish, isn't it? He said, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. So who owns what? 
He said, don't put new wine into old wineskins. What does that mean? He said, do not give your pearls to pigs. What does that mean? He said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. Everything else is a dog and pony show. That's my paraphrase. Jesus calls it evil. I wonder how many Christians, Christ followers today, have even tried to understand those sayings. Who lives it? More likely, the wisdom of Jesus has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. He said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Do you do that? He said, judge others only in the way that you want to be judged yourself. Do I do that? He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, build your house on a rock, not on the sand. That's wise advice, literally and metaphorically. He said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken up and flowing over. Whatever that means. Seems to me that today it's common for us to approach Jesus first as our Savior, and then second, maybe, as our Lord, although some seem to take that up as optional. Further down the road, and sometimes entirely ignored, is Jesus as our teacher, and even more so, Jesus as our friend. But notice that that is a very different order than what the first disciples experienced of Jesus long, long ago. They knew him in daily life before they knew him at the cross and at the tomb. He was their teacher first, very likely their friend second, and only later was he their savior and eventually also their Lord. I love the wisdom of Eugene Peterson, who has suggested that when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. And he probably meant it in that order, which is to say that the Jesus way brings us to the Jesus truth, which produces the Jesus life, which is also to say that it might be that you cannot have the Jesus life apart from the Jesus truth, and you cannot have the Jesus truth apart from taking the Jesus way. About a year ago, I had a person come to me asking for some wisdom. This was probably their first mistake. Regardless, they were beginning to take a different path than they had been taking before. And even in the past few months, this was new. They were shifting their understanding of the faith and even their opinion of some of the Christians that were closest nearby them. And so they came and they asked whether I thought these new ideas were accurate, godly, and so forth. Now, to be clear, this was not a political issue. It was more of a spiritual formation kind of a thing than it was a political kind of thing, even though our spiritual formation or malformation certainly does affect the way that we engage politics. This was not a political issue. So I asked, where are these new ideas coming from? And they said, the internet. I said, oh, do you know the people or the organization? that you're learning from? No. I said, okay, do you admire the people or the organization? In other words, are they living kinds of lives that you would like to emulate? And the person just looked at me in silence. I said, okay, how about this? 
do you sense the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing from these online authors? Or even more so, do you sense the fruit of the Spirit stirring in you as you interact with them? You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the things of God. Do you sense these things there? I could see on this person's face that the wheels were turning. At least that's what I like to think. But again, there was no response. Which brings me back to the words of James, the brother of Jesus, which I think are really important for us to heed in our world today. As you consider your ways as wise or not, and as you consider Jesus as a wise teacher or not, remember it was James who said, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. For the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So friends, about the wisdom that you are seeking to know and live today, is it producing that kind of fruit if not, you might want to try taking a different way into a better truth and toward a more abundant life. Maybe it's time to let Jesus be your wisdom teacher. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, our response this morning is really a prayer that God would give us wisdom and also give us courage to live out that wisdom for God's kingdom in this world. Let's stand and sing together.
Friends, the question of the day alongside King Solomon is who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life and take our cues from Jesus, the great wisdom teacher. As you go from this place, may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Go in peace.